I want to introduce to you one of the most fun songs ever with its unique fusion of, uh, of pop and Lego, but it isn't just for children, it's for us as adults. And it does come with a warning, a warning. You may find it annoying, possibly not now, but when you wake up at 3 a.m. tomorrow morning and it's going round your head. But personally, personally, I really like it. So let's, let's watch the screens. 13. Enjoy popular music. Tell the charts again. It's everything is awesome. Oh my gosh, I love this song. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool. Everything is awesome. When you're part of a team. <laughs> yeah. It's great, isn't it? Everything is Awesome. Have you ever met anyone who is stunningly upbeat and positive? Like all day, every day, whatever the, the conversation, whatever the situation, they are infusing about it. Nothing is said without an extra superlative such as awesome, incredible, sick, brilliant or amazing. Now, I like, I like people like that. I want to be with people like that. But occasionally you think, no, come on. <laughs> Everything isn't awesome, it really isn't. In fact, personally speaking, and if you're here and you are one of those hyper-positive people, then this does include you. We've all got to admit that life, it can get testing. And some things are just naff or average or boring. And getting up in the morning, getting up in the morning and looking in the mirror, often I don't feel amazing. I don't look awesome. I'm tired. I've got bags under my eyes. And then heading downstairs and and doing the breakfast for the children and the sandwiches, sandwiches. I love sandwiches. Everything tastes better in a sandwich. But I make them every morning. And we're talking hundreds of sandwiches. Even I can get to the point where that is monotonous with jam, ham or chicken paste. And there are... My children don't think so. Chicken paste, not awesome. And there is, there is a word that personally we can feel, we can know, that goes deeper than awesome and incredible and sick and brilliant and amazing, that comes, I believe, directly from God, that deals with naff, average and boring. It even deals with the deeper emotions of pain and loss and sorrow. It's a word that can get me out of bed in the morning and open another jar of chicken paste. But to be honest, to be honest, and I don't know why, for a while now I've not had much time or interest in in this word. What is the word? The word is joy. And why don't I have any time or interest in a word like joy? And this will take some explaining. And maybe your mind doesn't work like my mind works. I hope it doesn't actually when it comes to words. But let's give this a try. There are lots of words I really like. I enjoy the sound of them when I, when I say them. They fit together creatively in, in sentences. There can be a flow and a, an energy, a, a cutting edge to them. The emotions they carry, even the beauty they speak into being. But joy, it's too short, too, too sudden. Even when I've told people about this talk as I was working on it, and they've asked the theme, and I've said, it's joy. There's an awkward pause where it's and joy. Yes, that's it, joy. The word's too short. I know that. <laughs> then to add to that, and this isn't me having a, a cheap shot at children's songs. 
I'm totally in favour of us singing from as early an age as possible. And I love the, the simple lyrics that I've grown up with. And it's interesting how in difficult or upsetting situations, it's the, the simplest of, of children's songs that come into my head to, to strengthen me. And maybe it would be better if for everybody today, they remained there in my head. But I can't resist. And apologies, apologies if you didn't grow up in church. Please just zone out for the next two minutes of awkwardness. Only for the people that did, this will take you back to Sunday school camps and and beach missions. And if you feel the urge, then join in. I don't even know whether we should have a keyboard player for this. (laughs) Feel free if you get moved. Songs like, joy is a flag flying high from the castle of my heart, from the love my heart, castle of my heart, joy, keep going, come on, joy is a flag flying high from the castle of my heart, for the king is in residence there, great, there we go, (laughs) there's more, there's more. Give me joy in my heart, keep me praising, give me joy in my heart, I pray, give me, you sure you don't, you don't, know? And like, stop. I said two minutes, not five, ten minutes. There's another one. I have joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I have joy, joy, joy. (laughs) Down in my heart to stay. Then, then because songs aren't just for children, if you were in church when there was a surge in Jewish chords and, and dancing, there was, you shall go out with joy and be... There we go, there we go, can't resist. Peace, mountain and the hills will break forth. trees of the field will clap their hands (laughs) not awesome it's just because you can't go any faster because that one keeps speeding up doesn't it (laughs) now those are the songs and that is how words work for me that in my mind like I said earlier have caused me in later life and you can understand why now can't you not to have much time or interest in the word joy and I need to personally get over it and to get hold of that word in a new way using it praying it living in it fighting for it for me and for others Because joy isn't just for children's songs. Although it starts there, children are born with joy in their hearts. They smile, they laugh, they respond to the the world around them. And they do that in the most joyful of ways. But sadly, all too often, that joy gets 
stolen. It gets squeezed out of them by life and by the adultness of our world. And as we get older, joy, getting our joy back, living out our joy, deepening our joy is one of the hardest tooth and nail fights that we're going to be in. It may only be by our fingertips that we're holding on to our joy. And that is what I want to speak into. And it's questions like, what is joy? Where does it come from? Why does it run deeper than laughter? How can we experience joy? How can we increase our reserves of joy? And why is joy worth fighting for, worth pursuing God for? It's questions like that I've set out to answer. And with this talk, I want to run through five different aspects to the word joy that should hit on something for all of us. And this isn't conclusive. It's going gonna, it's gonna to jump around, but I want to give it a go because I think living with joy is essential to our faith. And I'm starting with Jesus because his first contact with our world physically was punctuated with joy. In Luke, which is one of the four records of Jesus' life, they're called Gospels, and they come in the, in the second and shorter half of the Bible. In chapters 1 and 2, we get Jesus' birth. And a number of times, it is there, the word joy. Even before his birth, as Mary, Jesus' mom, who, who carried him, went to stop with her relative Elizabeth, who was also pregnant, although further on, with her baby, who would grow up to become John the Baptist. It says in Luke chapter 1 that Elizabeth's baby leapt for joy in her womb when he sensed the closeness of the still-forming embryo that was Jesus. Then later, when the angel is talking to the shepherds out in the, out in the fields, and he's giving them the news about Jesus' soon-coming birth, he says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Then as, as Jesus grows up, not that we know too much of his childhood, where he would have stood alongside his father, Joseph, learning the family trade in the carpenter's shop. What comes through in, in later life, in the three years after turning 30, when Jesus launched himself into teaching and healing and, and traveling, years that are recorded in detail in the Gospels. It isn't the image of a hard and, and cold leader or a serious and depressing teacher. It is a, a life-giving, relational master's class as he attracted people with different backgrounds, statuses, and, and personalities. And it had to be there a, a joy, a joy that spilled out of him. Else, I don't think people would have gathered, and I don't think the disciples would have followed. Jesus had to be fun to be around. And Jesus' first recorded miracle in the Gospel of John, albeit under pressure from his mom, was turning water into wine at a, a wedding. Not just him spilling out personally, but enabling the joy and the, and the laughter to, to flow among everyone, along with the drink. And even with the cross, where Jesus died a, a tortuous death, it says in the book of Hebrews, one of the letters that follows the Gospels, in Hebrews 12 verse 2, that we should fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
The story of Jesus' birth, life, death and resurrection is punctuated with joy. And God, our God, is not only the author and perfecter of our faith, he is also the originator, the giver of joy. And I'm not saying people who aren't Christians can't be joyful. I don't think we are the the sole keepers of this. But I do think that joy, joy is the outworking of that first contact and that ongoing connection to the life of Jesus and that infilling with his Holy Spirit. As Christians, we can't grit our teeth and make God's joy happen for ourselves. We have to keep going to the author, to the originator, because joy comes from feeling good, not about ourselves, although that will come, but feeling good about God and our relationship with him. And joy is, joy is internal. It comes from within. And I think it's best understood as being fluid, fluid. And we're designed as humans to leak I don't know if you've realized that, that we're not watertight, we're not meant to be. What is inside us will come out, whether that is goodness or whether that is badness. It will leak and people will know it. And externals, externals, things that we see or experience, they can cause us to become joyful. But the joy that God gives doesn't rely on that. When you've got God's joy inside of you it will be spilling out irrespective of what is happening on the outside and what I'm saying here with the first aspect of this is that joy starts with God get this right and everything else drops into place then having started with God he takes joy deep and he raises the bar high When I was at secondary school, and some of you will have heard me talk about this previously, and I am over it emotionally speaking, because I know one or two of you, Leon, seem to find it funny, (laughs) funny that I was once 16 stone and very overweight as a child. (laughs) And there are moments, moments I remember really clearly. And one of those came every time we had gymnastics, if you can call it that the different activities the 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 jumps the dives the rolls they were all set out circling the gym and you would complete each one as you ran round I could move I wasn't so large that I couldn't run but I wasn't exactly springy if you know what I mean and the one activity that always got me was the pommel horse I would take it on, sure, I would take it on, I would run as fast as I could. Then I would think spring, leap, jump, at least get off the floor. But every time, I'd just crash into the side of the horse, winding myself. In all my years at secondary school, I never cleared it. In James, I'm over it. In James chapter 1. In James chapter 1, another letter in the New Testament that follows the Gospels, it says... Consider it pure joy, my brothers, I can add in sisters. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And when I read that, I'm like, goodness me, consider it pure joy, 
Pure joy when you face trials, when you face difficulties, tests, upset, trauma, challenges. Pure joy. Is the writer James for real? Is he a hyper positive? Would he be singing along with Emmett in the Lego movie? Everything is awesome. The Bible does, and this is one of the best examples, it does lift the bar high when it comes to how we should live our lives. Pure joy. It is almost unachievable, certainly without God. And you can be left thinking, I can't jump that. It's too high. Like me with the, the pommel horse. And I don't know how many times I ran into the side of it. I didn't enjoy it, but it was the effort of trying. Then the embarrassment of failing that built something into my character. And also, later in life, to be determined to to lose the weight. And then to start running and keep running. And now I have joy. As ridiculous as this sounds, I have joy every time I run and jump over something. Because I know that that was hard won in my life. Although I was out for a run some time back with Jonathan Allen. And we came to this five-bar steel gate, which he gripped around the top bar and leaped over it in one motion. That was awesome. And in the moment of decision, trailing a little behind, I thought, that bar is too high. (laughs) As followers, as followers of Jesus, God raises the bar high. And he takes joy deep. Eugene Peterson who I think is one of the best Christian writers of our time. In his book, uh, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, he wrote this, and I feel like I'm reading you half the book here, but it defines it so well that it's best read and slowly so we understand. He wrote, A common but futile strategy for achieving joy. A common but futile strategy for achieving joy is trying to eliminate things that hurt. Get rid of pain by numbing the nerve ends. Get rid of insecurity by eliminating the risks. Get rid of disappointment by depersonalizing your relationships. And then try to lighten the boredom of such a life by buying joy in the form of vacations and entertainment. That strategy, as Peterson goes on to explain, it doesn't work. It removes the the very life that we desire to live with sensitivity and risk and loving people to the point where it's going to hurt. The very life that Jesus said he'd come to give us. And the people for me, the people who live the lives that are the fullest, the most joyful and joy-giving, are those who have realized and resolved within themselves the connection between joy and sorrow between laughing and crying, that these are two streams in our lives that often run very close. And those people are not going to protect themselves from pain because of the joy that they experience through giving themselves their hearts, their embrace, their their tears in being exposed emotionally to the world around them. And we're not, we're not bulletproof. We're not meant to be. And it may be that the very wounds that we receive, the holes that cause us to leak God's joy the most. And it's worth it. It's always worth it because it takes us deep. 
deep into our own selves, understanding what it really means to be human. And it takes us deep, deep into God and his love for us. And it takes us deep, deep into other people's lives, giving us an understanding of their hurts. Raising the bar high, taking joy deep, that's the second aspect to this. And the third, that comes with getting control of our minds. The Apostle Paul is an immense character for us if we're a Christian. What he experienced when he he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and, and then his epic missionary journeys that he set out on and what he wrote in his letters to the to the churches that he planted or visited. This came to be known as scripture, God's word to us. And many of his letters are recorded in the New Testament. And as you read those, as you get into those letters, you can start to get a measure of the man behind the pen. And in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul is pushed to to have something of a rant about himself. You get the sense that he doesn't like having to do this. But he needed his readers to to understand what life was like for him, that he wasn't exactly enjoying celebrity status as he followed Christ. He said, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes, minus one. Three times, and Paul continues... But because of time, I'm cut into the finish. I have labored and and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Beside everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. This was a man who was up against it. It was a rugged, hard, battering, quite literally, of a life that he lived. And Paul could have become hardened, cold, emotionless. And yet when you read his letters, they are filled out with moments of joy. In fact, one of the words that he uses a number of times as he writes in the Greek is the word hilarotes, which is where we get the word hilarity. And it literally means laughter, laughter from the heart. And this wasn't Red Bull Christianity, Paul downing some high energy energy drink this was deeper this was a joy that was coming from within despite all that he faced Paul was experiencing a a laughter from the heart and this is someone who I want to learn off and ask the question how did he achieve this in Philippians 4 starting in verse 8 there is a scripture that gives us an answer Paul says finally brothers and sisters whatever is true Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Experiencing joy is a lot about our minds. And the next question that means it gets personal to us is what am I? What are we thinking on? Because that's going to impact on the joy, the laughter from the heart that we're experiencing. And when it comes to our minds, Paul isn't suggesting a a passive go-with-the-flow approach. Whatever thoughts come into your head, whether triggered externally, you see something, you, you hear something, and your mind is into it, thinking on it, whether that is productive or harmful to you. 
It isn't passive. Paul is suggesting action, getting hold of those thoughts, getting hold of your mind. I've said this before, because our minds are so fast, our first thought is often away before we've realised it. But then our second thought is the one that we can get control over. That's where, in one second, we can, we can ask God, is this a thought that you want here? Is it true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? And so on. If it is, then think on it. Allow it time. If it isn't, then get rid of it. Because our joy depends on what we allow within ourselves. Aspects four and five of joy, they are similar. And I'll tell you both, then won't worry about where they separate from each other. With joy, it isn't for saving, it's for spending. It isn't for saving, it's for spending. And sometimes we've got to let our face set the pace. I don't think God likes being contained. I say that because wherever he shows up, the impact goes one to another to another. It's like that with his Holy Spirit. And it's like that with joy. Even without God, even without God in our lives, we could all talk about experiences where what we've been through, the great news that that we've had, the fun time, the the surprise visit, the gift we've always wanted, whatever that is, somehow it makes it complete when it's shared. When we talk about it and pass the joy that we've experienced on. It is as if we get a second, third or, or fourth lift from the joy and the person we're talking to catches something of it from us. Joy isn't for saving and somehow if we bank it for a long time hoping it's going to earn interest it isn't there when we check out our accounts but if we spend it if we share it our joy increases and then if we put God back into this that is exactly how he fills us and now we're talking fluid again and God is like a vast ocean he is and we're like a a wine glass limited and we can Either hold what we've got and bank it, but then that is it. That's all we're getting from God. Or we can say God, the God who is as vast as the ocean, the God who saves the best wine till later. God, keep pouring because I'm leaking. I'm spilling you out of my life. And then letting your face set the pace. This is playful. It isn't meant as a criticism. I know we're all wired up differently and also with our faces. Some of us have more of a a natural bias towards a happy face or a sad face. But sometimes I think we've got to let our face set the pace. And to prove this out, there is a simple experiment that you could try. The next conversation that you're in, enter it with a frown on your face. Have a serious expression. Turn the corners of your mouth down and see where it goes. I would suggest that that conversation will be short, tense, and you and the other person will come out of it feeling annoyed and fed up and not bothered about seeing them again. (laughs) Then the next conversation. Enter it with a smile on your face. Work those facial muscles. Turn the corners up. If you're really desperate, then you could use one of these. I'm renting these out for difficult conversations this coming week. Just try it with this on and it will change everything. 
See where it goes. I suggest that that conversation will be, will be a lot more open. It'll be a lot more open and you'll come out of it feeling brighter. You'll both come away feeling encouraged and wanting to see that person again. And I know I've talked about joy being deeper and suggesting that we go into a conversation with a smile on our face. That sounds surface. But sometimes you think with some people, joy, it's gone so deep that it's going to need an undersea search and rescue team to raise it. And one final thing here, and this could just be for me. But I read some scripture when I was researching for this. And it hit me like it never had before. In 2 Corinthians 1, in verse 24, which is aimed directly at someone like me doing what I do. Paul says, we work with you for your joy. Because it is by faith you stand firm. We work with you for your joy. Because it is by faith you stand firm. Paul is saying that your joy, at least in part, is my responsibility. I need to have it in mind. In my work, in my days. And making you smile or laugh, it isn't just something that happens. It needs to be part of an ongoing, deeper work that invests into your joy. And with that, if I ever start taking myself too seriously... Please, pull me back. Challenge me on it. And to be honest, I think that's for all of us. The more wound up we are, the more into ourselves we are, the less able we are to experience joy. G.K. Chesterton, he once wrote, angels can fly because they take themselves lightly. Now that may, work, may not work as theology, but it does work as poetry. And back in the Old Testament, in Proverbs 17, verse 22, it says, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. On a bedtime, when I'm praying with my son Jay, and I'm finishing here, I realise that I often repeat myself, that that prayer does fall into a, a familiar rhythm. And there's a phrase that I finish with almost every time. I say, God, show us. What puts a smile on your face and help us to do that? When Jesus was with us for those 33 years on earth, he spoke of a childlike faith and he encouraged much to the disciples' annoyance, the children, to be close. He even said, unless you accept the kingdom like a little child, you can't enter. And when it comes to joy, it isn't just for children. Although it starts there, it starts in childlike ways, in childlike prayers. And that prayer that I pray with Jay has come to mean more to me. Now I know God doesn't have a, a face, so we can't smile. And our language for describing the indescribable is limited. But how we live our days, I believe it matters to God. He wants us to live with joy. To experience that laughter from the heart. And in adult life, this is going to be a tough and nail fight. Everything isn't awesome. It just isn't. And sometimes we're going to be holding on to joy by our fingertips. And whether you pray as often as you breathe and you have that closeness of connection with Jesus, or this is the first time you've ever thought of praying and you don't yet believe in Jesus, then try it. You've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. And the challenge as we finish is to pray each day this next week and start that prayer by asking God for his joy to be with you. You could even ask him 
to show you what puts a smile on his face because I think he smiles at us more than we realise. So ask him, say, God, today, whatever I'm expecting to face, whether I'm confident about it or anxious, whether it's fun or, or frustrating, God, give me your joy and then see what happens. And why not as well? This coming week, do something that is fun. The only proviso being it needs to be something that God would approve of. You could even, you could even buy yourself some Lego and have the joyful experience of building it. You probably haven't done that for a long time. And then set it on your shelf as a reminder that having childlike faith matters. Let's stand. We're going to sing as we respond and, and finish. Lord Jesus, your joy. Jesus, you are into joy. You were. You live with joy. You were full of joy. Yes, you faced the most incredible hardships and the most painful death. And then you rose again for the joy that was set before you. And God, your joy, wherever we're at on this. And some of us, we've leaked a lot. <laughs> and actually, there's no joy left in us. And we need a complete filling, a bucket load of your joy just coming into us right now and Lord Jesus for some of us we're, we're used to this we, we know how important joy is we regularly fill up and we regularly spill it out but we do need a top up right now we need something more to fire us on for what we've got ahead Lord your joy Lord it's almost childlike in its intensity and the prayer that we pray to get it is childlike in its words so Lord Jesus, our Father, we love you. Give us your joy. Pray that in your name. Amen.